and my name is Patrick Hester. I'm your host, and I'm sitting here today with Ed. Ed, why don't you tell people who you are and what you do? Well, my name is uh, Edward Willett. Uh, I also write as E.C. Blake and have also committed fiction as Lee Arthur Change. So I'm kind of three authors in one. Wow. Um, most of my fiction is published by Dog Books, and my latest thing is a trilogy as E.C. Blake, The Masks of Agrima with uh, Masks, Shadows, and Faces are the three books. Faces just came out. I've written science fiction and fantasy under my own name as well. And I also write a lot of nonfiction, so I've written... Overall, something over 50 books of one sort or another. Wow, that's I've been pretty full- impressive. Yeah, that's what people tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a full-time writer since 1993, so I've been at it for a while. That's awesome. That's really cool. So uh, I, I am curious in, in all that that you just said. Something stood out to my brain, and now I'm fading on it. Oh, what did you say? What did you say? What did you say? Three oh. authors in one? Well, the three authors in one was kind of cool. So do you... Do you uh, I'll go a different way. Do you have pseudonyms and pen names because you want like certain kinds of stories under this name, certain kinds of stories under this name, so people know what they're getting, or, or what, how does that work? Well, it's, it's some of that. Um, Edward Willett, when I came to DAW, was with a science fiction novel, and my first three books were all science fiction. Okay. Uh, the Marsaguro, which was published in 2009, won the Aurora Award for Best Canadian Science Fiction Novel, which was really nice. But... Well, sales weren't that great, so they said, well, we'd like to keep publishing you. Daw is great about keeping their authors going. They said, uh, but we want you to switch to fantasy, which uh, is uh, you know more widely read, mm-hmm. and we'd like you to, to change your name because you're changing genres as well. So I became Lee Arthur Chain. Lee Arthur Chain wrote Mage Bane, which is a uh, steampunkish fantasy novel. It's got magic, but it also has airships. There's a great airship okay. on the yeah. cover. And then the next one after that, uh, the Masks trilogy, which is going to be my first hardcover release... Um, it's also almost a, it's essentially YA, but Daw doesn't publish a YA line. Mm. So it was very different from what Lee Arthur Chain wrote, which was this multi-viewpoint thing. Masks of Agreement is told all from one viewpoint, and it's a 15-year-old girl. So I became E.C. Blake, and part of the reason for the initials was, at first glance, some people might think that that's a, you know, if they care about these things, they might think that it was a woman who was writing the book. Gotcha, okay. Even though the, the cover flap makes it quite clear that I'm a guy. So that's how it happened. I was also Adam Blade for one book. He writes uh, the Beast Quest children's fantasy series, and okay. that's, that's a house name, and I did one of those too. So I've actually have had four names in my writing career so far. The house name always interests me because um, I got some books one time, and I sent the publicist an email and said, hey, I want to talk to this author, and, and she's like, which one? Yeah, exactly. I said, what do you mean, which one? She's like, well, this book was written by this person, and this book was written by this person. I said, well, they're both using the same name. She's like, yeah, that's just our house name. Yep. And a lot of those, sometimes there was an actual person who had that name originally, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, Nancy Drew, Carolyn Keene was a real person, but she started writing in 1927, and she's not writing anymore. <laughs> uh, but her name is still going on. And sometimes they're completely made up. So in the case of the Beast Quest series, it's a, just a name that they, I think, that Adam Blade you know, for a fantasy series, I, I'm pretty sure they just made that one up and then gotcha. people have been using it. Okay. You have a great voice for radio. Why, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you do. It reminds me of Tom Merritt. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you uh, know Tom from Sword and Laser. You know, the first time I ever had him on a podcast and, and he started talking, I was like, holy crap, dude. Well, I, I actually do a lot of, uh, well, I can't take credit for the voice. I inherited it, right? Right. But uh, I actually do do a lot of uh, acting. So I'm, oh, a, I'm okay. a stage actor, and I okay. do musical theater and that sort of thing. That, so. That's what the voice is reminding me of. So uh, a friend of mine in, back in Denver uh, has a real good friend who's a lawyer. And the first time I met him, he was just this, you know, he projected his voice so much, and he was so 
very, uh, I want to say, ebullient, you know, and, and boisterous, and, and we, we'd have these conversations, and, and it was just a very, and that's the kind of voice that you have, and, and I think it does come from the stage, because he does that too. It's, it's something, I, I have to tone it down when I'm doing, like, I've also done some video, not very much, but a little bit of stuff in TV and movies and that sort of thing, and, and I have to tone, tone it down a bit, because they don't want you doing the full projection when you're on, like, it's probably blowing your meters off right now. <laughs> But just my natural speaking voice, yeah. Like I said, I can't really take credit for it. My whole, my two brothers sound exactly the same. So. Yeah, but when you're when you're on the stage, you got to be able to you got to be able to get to those people in the back. Yeah, and I've never had a problem being heard. At the I don't theater. I don't doubt it. Yeah, that'd be amazing. So what do you do? I mean, on the stage, what have you done? Uh, I've done a lot of community theater. That's mm-hmm. where I started. But I've also done some professional work. Uh, I was in a you know professional production of Beauty and the Beast, and I've done. On Golden Pond, I was in a professional production of that. Uh, on the community side, I've done any number of musicals. I mean, it's dozens of productions I've been in. I also do some playwriting. So I wrote a play called uh, As Time Goes By, A Love Story with Music and Ghosts. So it was kind of a speculative fiction <laughs> fantasy thing going on there. And it was all based around music that we found in the piano bench of our old house, which has been in my wife's family since 1939. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, I wrote that and directed it. I didn't star in it. I have directed myself in a play and it's like the man who has a you know who's his own lawyer has a fool for a client right. it's kind of the same thing when you direct yourself because you can't be out there seeing everything you're doing wrong and you can't even see what the other people are doing that you have to correct or, or guide differently so it doesn't work very well but yeah I've uh, directed and I've written plays and it's just another facet of what I do. Sure. In Beauty and the Beast, were you the candelabra? No, no. I'm, I'm <laughs> a little too... I'm not built like the candelabra. <laughs> it's usually a, a skinny guy. I was, uh, I was uh, the insane asylum keeper, ah, Mr. Dark. Okay. And also nine other things because it was a small cast. And we sure. all, I spent most of my time changing costumes. Gotcha. Going to the, the talking carpet. And then I was a candlestick. And I wasn't a candlestick. I was a fork. I had this giant fork on my head. It made me about seven feet tall because I'm 6'2". And, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I bet, yeah. So uh, how did you get into, so you're a full-time writer, how did you get into that? I mean, well, what made you decide to do it? I knew from high school that I wanted to be a writer. I wrote three novels in high school. Wow. My first short story when I was 11 years old was, uh, which will show you, you know, there was never any question about what I was going to write because my short story I wrote when I was 11 years old was called Castra Glass, Hypership Test Pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I had two older brothers and they read science fiction and I wanted to, you know, read what they did and that's sure. what got me going on it. And then as I got into high, and I actually, I always like to say that it was actually a teacher who made me take it seriously because my junior high teacher, uh, grade seven, his name was Tony Tunbridge, Tony the Tiger we called him, not to his face, uh, he, he took it seriously and he critiqued it and he said, I don't understand why your aliens act the way they do and why this happens. And something about the fact he took it seriously made me want to write more and better after that. And so through high school, I wrote three novels, but I knew, even though I wanted to be a writer or actor or, or musician, or there were several things, but mm-hmm. writer is yeah. what I focused on eventually. Space cowboy. Yeah, exactly. But I couldn't seem to find a good university <laughs> for that. Um, I decided that uh, I would go into journalism because that way it was something that I would be writing and then I would still be writing my fiction on the side. So I got a degree in journalism from Searcy, Arkansas, Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas, which is where my parents had gone to school, birthplace of the indoor tanning parlor. That's that town's claim to fame. 
And then I went back to Saskatchewan, where I live, and uh, Weyburn, Saskatchewan. I was promptly hired at the local newspaper, worked as a newspaper reporter and photographer for four years, and then I became news editor. And I graduated from university at the age of 20, so I was news editor of the, my hometown newspaper at the age of 24. Wow. And I edited for four years, and then... Uh, opportunity came up to go to the Saskatchewan Science Center in Regina and write copy. And since I loved science, I went there and I researched uh, copy for all of the exhibits. It was brand new. It was just being opened then. And then was communications officer and did all the, you know, radio interviews and, and writing press releases and stuff. And then they kind of changed the organization. I'd been head of my own department. I'd been editor of the newspaper before that. And all of a sudden they put me under somebody else. And I thought, I don't like that. <laughs> and I, I was on vacation and I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to be a freelance writer. I'm just going to quit my job and be a freelance writer. Thinking something will come up. And remarkably enough, it did. I did know that I had a, a two-month gig uh, with a, a touring opera company that went to schools. And I could do that for two months. So I knew I had pay for two months. And I thought, well, two months. That's plenty of time to get your freelance career going. Right. But while I was doing that, I got a job uh, writing scripts for a, a, a nature TV series. And then... Things just came along. Wow. It was years before I published a novel. My first book was actually using Microsoft Publisher for Windows 95. And my second book was using Microsoft Publisher for Windows 97. So, <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, I wrote a lot of computer <laughs> books. They paid really well. Not the most creative. Well, stuff. yeah, those, those, those uh, continue to pay, depending on what you write. The so. trouble is that the stuff I wrote was at a pretty low level. Gotcha. And now it's all the real technical stuff, and I, they left me behind technically a long time ago. There's a guy. Uh, there's a guy I met in Colorado Springs. He lives there. Who wrote a very technical code book for computer? Uh, it's I, it's way over, way <laughs> over my head. But it's this very technical that's still used 27 years later or something. It's it's like a core book for a lot of people who write in a certain language. And he said that book has paid for his house, his kids going to college, you know, all this kind of stuff, because they just keep reprinting it. Unfortunately, using Microsoft Publisher for Windows 95 Correct. doesn't run very long. Correct. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I just, I'm, I've been trying to get rid of my Corel Publisher and my Corel Draw and, and, and Photo Paint books that I've carried with me for probably too long. <laughs> Because no one uses Corel anymore. Well, and I still have boxes of these things, right? Because they give you 10 copies. And oh, it's not sure. like you can take them to a convention and sign them and sell them. <laughs> I'm stuck with them. And then I, somewhere along in there, I sold a couple of YA novels to, well, sold is probably not the right word to that particular publisher. Really bad publisher, bad contract. But mm. it was a start. And uh, It happens. I, I sold a lot to small stuff. And then finally, Daw picked me up uh, from, actually from Five Star, which was run by Marty H. Greenberg. Yeah, that name sounds familiar. It was a book packager. John Helfers was the editor. I know John. That picked up uh, Lost in Translation for that line. And it was Five Star went to libraries exclusively. Uh, as I understand it, the libraries will subscribe to it and they get like, you know, two westerns, two romances, two science fiction novels, two religious novels. Gotcha. Um, and I was picked for one of those. And the way I ended up with Daw was that uh, one morning I got a call from John. He said, Mr. Greenberg would like to talk to you. Well, I'd never talked to Mr. Greenberg. And he said, uh, I want to congratulate you. Uh, Daw had a hole in their publishing schedule and asked to look at some of the books I published in Five Star. And they picked yours to bring out in a paperback uh, copy, Lost in Translation. And once I had that, of course, it's, it's really easy to get an agent when you say, hey, I've got a contract. Do you right, want 15%? Right, right. Yep, yep, yep. So I got Ethan Ellenberg as my agent. And... Uh, 
then after that, I said, okay, Ethan said we need to come up with another idea, and I sold Mar Seguro, which won the Aurora Award, and the sequel, Terry and Segura, and we just went from there. So I've been a doll author ever since that first book came out. That's awesome. Yeah, and I tell that story to writers who want to know how to break in. I say, this is going to do you no good whatsoever, But this because everybody has a different story. Right, right. This is the way it worked for me. But the one bit of news I say is always encouraging, in a way, is that DAW had a hole in its publishing schedule, which may sound like a strange encouragement. That, that means that out of the hundreds of manuscripts they get, they hadn't found one or didn't have one in a position to fill that hole, which means if you're good, you're already way ahead of a whole bunch of those people who are submitting. So mm-hmm. the real trick is to be a good writer, I guess, and then you'll get published. I'm not sure that's exactly a you know, breakthrough in people's conception, right. but that's yeah. what I tell young writers all the time. Well, and, and sometimes I think, I think what it boils down to is sometimes it's just the circumstance. It's just it's chance. It's luck. Does can but play you, a, a part in it. And you put yourself in position to take advantage of it. It's yeah. part of it. You have to have your stuff out there. You have to be talking to people. And I, I got a short story published because uh, the anthology editor had a hole and he needed something. And so he sent me an email and he's like, I need a story for this anthology. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. He's like, yeah, and I need it in like two weeks. Yeah, I had that in uh, Tesseract's 18. I have a short story uh, called... Something. <laughs> I <can't> remember now. <laughs> and uh, it was literally like that because their theme was uh, writing across Canada. And they didn't have anybody from Saskatchewan ah. <laughs> that they could publish. They, they knew me and they said, do you have anything? I said, well, I have this. And I sent it and they liked it. And so, yeah, so sometimes it's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. So it's funny because you keep mentioning Canada. In my, in my day job, I'm a marketing person. And one of the things I have to do is send out email. And Canada just changed their spam laws. Big oh, time. Yes. Yes. And so we're I, now it's like I have all my can- Canadian stuff separated out and I don't send everything anymore. And so every time you say Saskatchewan, my eye goes twitch, twitch, twitch. <laughs> oh no, not Canada. Yeah, and I do a lot of communications <laughs> work for uh, the theater groups that I'm involved with. It was the same thing. We had these big mailing lists and we had to send out a note. So you have to actively say you want our emails or we can't send them to you anymore. We have a, we have a refer a friend program. And normally the way it works is you go to our website and you fill out the form and then we send your friend an email that says, hey, Ed referred you to us, you know, blah, blah. There's a fear that that could be considered spam. Mm -hmm. So we actually set up a separate piece for Canada where instead of us sending the email, it actually triggers an email to you that you then forward on to your friends so it comes from you not us you know so it's it's just a it's just a complicated mess spam laws are wonderful it's not my fault i didn't do it <laughs> so uh tell me about the the current series the the current book that you have out uh, well the massive agreement is a trilogy um it's uh, set in a world called agreement well actually it's a the autarky of agreement, it's just one part of the world, where at the age of 15, everybody is masked. And these masks are magical and allow the watchers who have the ability to detect before they do anything mm-hmm. the people who are going to be problems that have seditious thoughts or whatever. So okay. it's very much, it's the functional equivalent of a dystopian novel, but it's set in a fantasy world. Uh, and the main character, my 15-year-old girl, Mara, uh, is the daughter of the master mask maker. And she has magical ability. Only a small percentage of people do. And she's expecting to be apprenticed to her father and have this you know, life. And uh, on the day of her masking, her mask fails. And she's thrown into exile. And uh, she ends up getting rescued by the 
not very effective revolutionaries who have essentially been hiding away for, for years and haven't managed to do much. And turns out her particular magical ability is fairly unique and rather unpredictable and very dangerous as well to her and others around her, but they want to harness it to overthrow the autarky. So over the three books, we see how that plays out. It's a lot about how... how uh, she's a very... In some ways... She's an ordinary 15-year-old girl, and she makes mistakes, and she makes dumb decisions, and but she keeps trying to do the right thing. And at the same time, she has this power that can blow down city walls hmm. and slaughter whole troops of horsemen and things like that. And it's how she deals with that, and everybody's trying to use her, and and she and how she deals with all the people who are around her who are trying to make use of her power. And plus, she has this enormous guilt of, because she's killing people, and she's... So it's a, it's a fun read. <laughs> I just made it sound really grim. And yet I think it's the people who've read it, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it's, it's an adventurous story, but yes, it does have some dark elements. And too. are all three out? All three are out. Uh, Faces just came out in July in hardcover. Okay. The first two are out in hardcover and paperback. And Faces paperback, uh, I haven't heard exactly, but I'm expecting it to be maybe a February time frame. Are they doing e-books like too? That. They've been out in e-books, yeah. They're okay. in e-books as well. Um, so we'd really like the uh, we'd really like it to sell better because there are more stories to be told. So you know, <laughs> buy the book, read the book, tell your friends. It's interesting because it's it's kind of fallen into a crack between YA and Daw doesn't have a YA line, right? So yet at the same time, it's kind of YA, and so I think some adult readers haven't found it, but because they don't really have a YA line, YA readers who might really latch onto it, it's it's out there, but it hasn't had a huge impact. I know it's being read because uh, Battle of the Books in somewhere in California, the, the high school uh, used it as a Battle of the Books book. So it is finding niches here and there, but it hasn't really taken off the way I'd like. Do you think it's a marketing thing? I think it just kind of fell in an unfortunate crack. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it is, although it is a 15-year-old girl, it does have some dark stuff in it. And so I don't, I think adult readers enjoy it too. And the YA readers who enjoy it are typically the ones who are reading at a fairly high level. But as my daughter likes to tell me, she's 14, says the people who are talking about stuff being too dark and for YA said, you're not actually reading YA, are you? Is what she says from what she reads in the YA. Right, because that, that, is, that is almost a, uh, it's definitely a trend, if not a trope within YA, is to, to have the darker stuff. Yeah, there's lots of dark stuff out there. Not yeah. in every book, but it, it's out there. Well, I mean, think back to when you were a teenager, right? How serious were you and dark and gloomy? and I wasn't, know. actually. Oh, you were. I really, just don't no, remember it. I was a cheerful guy. <laughs> but I think back to what I was reading. As I, as I said, one of the books, I when I was about 12, I read The World Inside by Robert Silverberg, which mm-hmm. is all full of sex and all this stuff. I actually told him that I stood up at some uh, panel thing in Worldcon in maybe it was Denver I don't remember and I actually stood up and wanted to thank him for teaching me a great deal about the facts of life from that one book so thanks Bob (laughs) that's hilarious so on the YA side uh, yeah there are people who don't like it because of all these dark elements so that probably hurt it a little bit so it's kind of all over the map and I think that's why it has I know there's an audience for it but it just hasn't quite found it the way I would like. So gotcha. read the book. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're here at Worldcon. What are you doing? What do you, what have you been doing? Uh, I had a couple of panels. I was on a panel on uh, uh, women and warriorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was apparently, the, the moderator had run the panel several times. I'm apparently the first male writer who has appeared on the oh, panel, interesting. Okay. which is interesting. And we had a good a conversation. Um, 
I'm on a panel later today, where this is on Saturday as we're recording this, uh, on uh, tech, uh, interesting kids in science and technology. And I guess that comes from all my educational stuff I've written. I sang. Uh, I did a concert yesterday of The Road Goes Ever On, the song cycle of Tolkien poems sent mm -hmm. to music by Donald Swan. So did you sing that song, The Road Goes Ever On and On? Yeah, that's the first song in the song cycle. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Yeah. See, I always do the Rankin-Bass version. Oh. So I'll, I'll grab a little bit of my neck and go, The road goes ever on and on. <laughs> I remember that one too. That was an unfortunate, <laughs> it's an unfortunate cartoon in many ways. <laughs> And then, of course, there's meeting with Sheila Gilbert from DAW, and we've, I have another book coming out. You know, I have to write it first, but it's due pretty soon, so I should probably get on that. Yeah. Called The City Born, which is science fiction. That'll be under my own name. And then we're talking about what comes after that and what name it will be under. Uh, and it would be more of a... It would start out in a kind of an urban fantasy way and then do some things we hope would be interesting. So, be so cool. still lots of stuff coming down the road so and then there's Daw always takes its authors out for a nice dinner and stuff like that so it's it's we really come to these things just as to, to network well i heard an uh, interesting thing uh at the bar last night someone said that uh, this is where authors come for water cooler talk yeah you know we don't see each other much sure. you're mostly a, it's mostly a lonely profession especially if you're living in regina saskatchewan there aren't a lot of science fiction writers around uh i can think of a couple more and there's actually Oh, no, he's from Winnipeg. Um, yeah, that, is there anybody from Saskatchewan here? I know there are because I've seen them in the membership list, but I don't know who they are, but they're not writers. Gotcha. So in Saskatchewan, there's maybe two or three of us that would self-identify as science fiction writers. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I live in Denver, and I've had people on the East Coast say, um, do you ride a horse? Because they like <laughs> have this idea of Denver as being this frontier town still. Yeah. And so I was, when you were like, I'm in Saskatchewan, I'm like, oh, do you have a moose that you have to ride? <laughs> is it like that? Is it just so out there and, and remote? You know, and then of course it's not. No, it's, uh, <laughs> Regina is a little smaller than Spokane. Saskatoon is our other, we only have two cities in Saskatchewan because the province is the size of Texas and has a million people in it. So mm -hmm. uh, the other city, Saskatoon, is about the size of Spokane. Okay. It's very agricultural, but. Gotcha. And uh, believe it or not, we're actually running out of time. So I want to I wanna throw some more stuff out there. Uh, remind people your website. My website is just my name, edwardwillett.com. That's uh, Edward, W-I-L-L-E-T-T. -T. Don't forget the second T, <laughs> .com. It's also ecblake.com. Okay. Uh, and I'm on Facebook uh, as Edward Willett, oddly enough, and also ecblake. <laughs> I'm a little, you know, split personality in these sure. things. Sure, yeah. And uh, on Twitter, I'm just uh, either ewillett or... Uh, Author E.C. Blake is the E.C. Blake version. But if you're following both of those, you're going to see a lot of re repetition. <laughs> repetition, yeah, because you just cross-tweet. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, the the three books are out right now. They are. And you can get them anywhere. You should be able to, certainly in paperback. I doubt the hardcover of Masks is readily available now. Okay. One thing I always like to ask is if someone goes to your website, do they have the ability to get like a signed copy sent to them? Uh, if you send me an email, I will certainly make that happen. Okay. I don't yeah. have it set up as a store or anything, but you can contact right. me through the website or uh, or through Facebook, and I would be happy to make that happen. Okay. And when you're traveling, do you do you step into bookstores along the way in the airports and stuff and sign some copies? Yeah, if I ever see them, I do. Yeah. yeah. And I actually have copies. I carry, not all the time, but I often have copies with me if I'm on something like a convention, and mm -hmm. I can usually sell them myself then as well. That's cool. So what's next for Ed? Well... 
go back and write the city born for Daw Books because okay. it's due really soon now. <laughs> and then work on the proposal for what comes after that. I'm also writing a five book IA fantasy series, uh, Modern Day with Arthurian Elements for a publisher in Regina. So there's still. Uh, one more of those to come out, and I have to write that later this year as well. So, and I assume you're an outliner and a plotter. I am a sketcher. I do a synopsis that then I usually depart from. Okay. Uh, so I'm not a very detailed outliner. Maybe five, ten, single space page synopsis on a book, uh, but usually it changes as I go along. And you're still doing that in uh, Microsoft Publisher. <laughs> Actually, I use Publisher all the time for desktop publishing because it's the one I know the best. Oh, it's been, God. I know it's an no, awful... I know, no, I know. no. Someone who has used InDesign, I can't do Publisher. It, no. I have InDesign, but I just haven't gotten back up to speed on it because I used to use PageMaker way back when. I used I used Aldis PageMaker. Yeah, me too. Yeah, back in the day. And I have used, um, uh, actually my favorite was Corel Ventura Publisher. Oh, I never used that. That was a really good one. I like that one a lot. But, uh, they, of course, Corel moved to Canada and and actually someone bought them and they, and they moved the company to Canada. Yeah. And that company never knew how to market it from that point on. So they kind of died. But yeah, I uh, can't, do, can't do Publisher. <laughs> can't do Publisher. No, it drives me up a wall. There's so many things I can do in InDesign. Oh, I know. It doesn't have nearly the capability, but yeah. I know it so well. Oh, and, and, and I, I haven't get learned it. The, I haven't <clears throat> gone up the, the learning curve for the other ones. So. Well, the, the biggest thing for me with, with Publisher was always that it was RGB color. Yeah. It wasn't CMYK. Yeah. And I have to, you know, I would have to send my stuff off for pre-press in CMYK. So. I believe you can. Oh, I think they've changed it since. You may have. Yeah. But um, for many, many years, they yeah, just I ran mean. it in RGB, and it's like, what the hell? This is not a publishing <laughs> program. <laughs> it was for people doing newsletters at home. It was, stuff yes. Like that. Yeah. So, well, this has been great, Ed. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Hugo Award winning SF Signal podcast. Your host is Patrick Hester, an author, a blogger, and a functional nerd. His website is www.atfmb.com, which stands for All Things From My Brain. ATFMB is also his Twitter handle and where you can find him on Facebook. Our podcast is available for download every week at sfsignal.com or via iTunes. Look for the links to subscribe in the sidebar at sfsignal.com or search SF Signal in iTunes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. And have them tell their friends, and their friends, and so on, and so on. Visit the Hugo Award-winning sfsignal.com for all of your speculative fiction needs. John D. and the SF Signal regulars offer up new content every day, from weekly mind melts featuring your favorite authors, editors, and artists from the SF and F field, to book reviews, original articles and essays, fiction deals, movie reviews, videos, links and roundup posts, and more. Click the RSS button in the sidebar of your browser to ensure you never miss a post. The SF Signal podcast is powered by the Functional Nerds. Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Angry um, robot. It's like talking to a child. Magic wooey. Thinking and crap. I don't even know what hey. the horseman is. And scene, you bastard.